Ryan, are you there? Hello, Michael. Hello, Internet. Hello, world. Hello, worldwide Internet. Welcome to another edition of the Buck and Sack Show. I'm Michael Sachs in San Francisco. Ryan Buckley, you're in Portland, Oregon. It's Tuesday night, October 15th, 2019. It's my dad's birthday. Happy birthday, oh. Bo Sachs. Happy birthday, Papa Sachs. Yes, Very a nice. loyal listener. And uh, I'm watching the Nationals celebrate, Ryan. They just swept the Cardinals en route to their first ever World Series. Uh, and now they're showing, sports centers are showing the Braves sweep and the Reds in the World Series in 95. I would rather watch that uh, than the Nationals celebrating, I can tell you that. But how are you doing, man? Nationals, fall classic, incredible. Yeah, I'm doing great. Um, the... NL, NL and ALDS were certainly thrilling. The ALCS continues to be, I don't know about thrilling, as neither game has been, uh, well, I guess game two it'll was, get, it'll pick up. Uh, was awesome. It will pick up, but uh, man, yeah, the Nats are uh, coming in like gangbusters, and I guess we can just just roll right into that. I just Take they're, they're my good of the week, and yeah, I am. Uh, I'm, I'm just impressed with what with what they're doing because How can you not? I, I don't think really I, at any point in the season they have a lot of really nice pieces. I'm not sure there were many points where I thought that they really had all the pieces to make a run like this. Um, and especially when you consider where they started. And I, I know you and I talked about this before the show, but in May they were 19 and 31 they're, you know, they're 12 games under 500. Yeah, and a lot of talk um, about it, firing the manager and, and blowing it up and, and seeing and yeah. seeing, yeah, how you would create more cap room and, They've, you know, they've turned it around and then, you know, something that um, Bill Simmons used to always reference, he called it the Patrick Ewing yeah. theory, which was basically once you take the, the central figure um, that everyone's kind of been leaning on and expecting the most from away from a team, then it galvanizes the rest of, of the guys who are who are there and who remain. And that could certainly apply here with Bryce Harper leaving sure for the Na- leaving leaving for the Phillies and everyone else kind of coming together to make this happen. And, you know, it seems like um you know, more frequently now we kind of have the big Goliaths in, when I say more frequently, just the last couple World Series, we have a lot of the teams that you expect to be there, um, there in the mix and competing. But we've also had a few um, handful over the last couple of years where it's just, it's really been more the hot team than it has been the stacked team. And uh, teams that maybe didn't, you know, needed to sneak in on the last day of the season or, or needed a, a tight victory here, there, I mean, this Nationals team, you look back to the NLDS for them and being down to the Dodgers and, and going back to back off Kershaw and then Howie Kendrick um, continuing his resurgence. He's just been on fire this postseason. I know that going into tonight, uh, he was hitting 314 with 11 hits in nine games. And yeah, he's the NLCS MVP. He had that. He obviously had the big grand slam in the divisional series as well, and uh, it's you know it seems like he's one of those guys that's going to be remembered for for moments more than uh, being remembered for you know the career as a whole. And, and I think baseball needs those memories and needs you know those people. I mean, I, I still uh, you know I'll remember uh, home runs from Cody Ross, who you know I don't by any stretch consider a great baseball player, but, but you know central to that that first Giants championship and and. You have people like that. I mean, I, I remember uh, what, what was your was it your boy Francisco Cabrera? Yeah, was that the guy? I mean, ninety two NLCS game seven. I, I, as a 
moderate Braves fan back there because I was the only team I could watch on a daily basis. I remember that name and no one remembers anything about that guy's career, but like Howie Kendrick is, is having one of those postseasons right now. And the, the run is just kind of magical and I, I'm excited when it happens and, and when it comes from somewhere that you're not necessarily expecting. Yeah. I remember David Eckstein had a huge fall classic for the Cardinals yeah. yep. uh, some time ago. I mean, you know, this nationals team, Ryan reminds me a lot of, the Giants in both 2012 and 2010. Um, Clearly not the best team. Won the wild card. I I think in 2010, the Giants were the division champs. In 2012, they were the road team in the wild card. Went into Pittsburgh and won. Then were down, uh, what, 2-0 in the DS to the Natty. Uh, So this national team has a lot of similarities there. You know, the win against the Dodgers was stunning. They were down 2-1 in the series. They tied it home, and then they're facing Walker Bueller in Game 5, and Bueller had a great game. Then, you know, you see, you know, we haven't talked since the Kershaw game in the Game Ooh, 5, and he came in and, and gives up two straight bomb skis to Rendon and Soto. Uh, that was just stunning and unbelievable. And then the Kendrick Grand Slam that you mentioned that puts them over the top. And they've just been on cruise control ever since. I mean, they just went right through the Cardinals. The Cardinals batted, I think, 130 in the NLCS. They they couldn't hit at all. Uh, they couldn't pitch particularly well. The Nationals got up 7 nothing in the first, which was eerily similar to the 10 spot that the Cardinals put on the Braves just last week, getting 10 runs in the first. We'll talk about that a little more later. I guess if we have to, um, but, uh, but you know, this Nationals team, I just saw the stat, you know, they go back, this is not the Washington Senators franchise, this is the Montreal Expos franchise, and this franchise that started in Montreal uh, is now 51 years old, it's the longest time a franchise has ever waited to go to their first World Series, so it's been a long time coming, I don't think you have any National fans that were real true Expo fans. I mean, not not any. Certainly there's some. The vast majority are newer fans that adopted sure. this team when they came into the league, what, 10 years ago or what, whatever it was. And, you know, I have a lot of good friends that are big Nationals fans. And, and my sister lives in D.C. She's a big National fan. And their postseason history to this point was filled with nothing but heartache. They hadn't won. It was ugly. A series. They blew a big lead to the Cardinals a few years ago. They This gets serious revenge on that. You know, they had the 19-inning loss, the 19-inning game loss to the Giants and then blew that lead, and, and that began another Giants World Series run in 2014. Uh, you know, then Harper leaves them high and dry, and here they are in the World Series having just swept the mighty Cardinals, probably the best franchise in the history of the National League, just swept them right out of the NLCS and into the Fall Classic to face a team that's going to be favored. You know, the Astros or the Yankees will most certainly be favored over the Nationals, but the Nationals have been a dog probably in every series they've been. Not probably. I I don't know if they were a dog heading into this series or not. It was very close one way or the other. They were certainly a dog to the Dodgers, so uh, good for them. I mean, that's all I can say. A hell of a run. They've caught lightning in a bottle. Good for them. Now it'll be really impressive if they can knock off either of the teams that's going to emerge oh, that would be from an the all-time, That would be an all-time situation. If they can knock off one of these two teams with the rosters that they have. Um, and, you know, the other part of the, the Nationals' turnaround that we should mention is their bullpen. They had a mm-hmm. terrible, 
bullpen the whole year. I mean, historically bad. I think at one point through the first two and a half, three months through the season, uh, my friend Chip, who listens to the show, always emails me and corrects me on some fact. So Chip is a big <laughs> Nats fan. Chip will correct me on this. But at one point, they did Shut have up, the, Chip. the worst bullpen ERA, uh, I think, in the history of Major League Baseball through two or three months of the season, whatever it was. And really, they didn't have a strong bullpen coming into the playoffs either. Uh, this guy, Dan Hudson, who they get from the Blue Jays right at the, uh, right at the deadline, they would never have thought. He would become their closer and a really good one at that. So he solidified the whole thing for them. Uh, so, again, good for the Nats. Good for the Nats indeed, man. Yeah, I, I'm excited to see what they do. You now wonder about the situation of a rest versus rust. Maybe it benefits them to yeah, see the Yankees. Yeah, they have a week or, off now. I mean, maybe it benefits them to see the Yankees and Astros beat each other up a little bit. But at the same time, you know, you also maybe want some of this mojo to keep rolling. So uh, I'll, I'll be interested to see how they fare, but yeah, everybody will be fresh. It can go in either direction. That's baseball. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing you can do. You know, the, the World Series time is set. So even if, say, the 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 uh, Strohs win the next two games, they're going to both have a pretty long layoff. Although yeah. it looks like – here's another aspect. Weather? It's, yeah. It's going to yeah. rain serious on the East Coast tomorrow. So the Nats weren't going to be able to play – Game five probably tomorrow anyway. I, it would have been interesting to see how that messed with each team's rotation. <coughs> it looks like the Strohs and Yanks are going to probably be rained out tomorrow as well. So just a, a little bit of a factor there that can really throw how you would set your rotation up for a loop. I think it would probably be to both teams, both the Astros and Yankees' benefit to maybe be able to, you know, get another guy back on longer rests that they may have wanted to pitch on short rest. So we'll just yeah. have to monitor that and see. Uh, but good, good of the week. Um, here comes my three-pack good of the week. I've got three things that impress me from the football weekend, both on the NFL gridiron as well as college. I'll start in college. I almost, I almost made one of these my good of the week, and then I saw you had it as yours, so I'll be, I'll be excited to piggyback off that. I think I know which one it is. I bet you do. <laughs> uh, it's my third good of the week. But my first good of the week is the Gamecocks going into Sanford Stadium in Athens, Georgia, and taking down. The number three and previously unbeaten dogs of Georgia. And took, taking down the hedges, literally. Took, took down the hedges, <laughs> uh, which, you know, Georgia treats those, Georgia and their fans and an admin treat those hedges like, you know, like the Italian government treats, the, or the or French, French government treats the Michelangelo. I mean, they, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a very touchy subject for the dog fans when you come on and mess up their beloved barrier trees. But that's it's, neither, it's a very Harvey Updike move. Yeah, but they didn't, the cocks didn't poison them. They just snipped a few off. They just did a little surgery. I don't see any <laughs> Snipped a few off. They snipped a few off. <laughs> Anyways. They I went in double you. overtime on your boy, uh... <laughs> Uh, what's the guy? Rodrigo Blankenship. Misses Rodrigo the Blankenship. There. I love that name and the look, frankly. Yeah. Those and goggles he's hit he's some got. huge field goals. Yes, but he, he has. But he missed a huge one on Saturday. And really, uh, the dogs got outplayed. They were minus four in the turnover column. Uh, one of the Cox DBs grabbed three interceptions all on his lonesome. Fromm was running for his life all day. Uh, the, the Cox just came in and took it to him. And Will Muschamp coming back home where he played college ball, facing his former college teammate and, and, you know, by all accounts, best friend, Kirby Smart, and really 
put a dent in the dogs' resume. Now, I, I still think the dogs, if they went out, they're going to probably get to the playoff with the, just the one loss. But it was a big upset. 24 points. Nobody saw it coming. Uh, our first major upset of the college football season. We thought going into Saturday it was going to be a great slate, and it was. I thought the whole day was awesome, but it was highlighted by the Cox beating the dogs. What do you think? Yeah, it was uh, It was a really good slate, and uh, you knew one of these dominoes <clears> – <throat> excuse me, I got a little tickle in the throat. No problem. You knew one of these dominoes was going to fall sooner than later. That there, there were too many good and dominant teams – who were poised for a fall. And I'm actually not sure that, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm not sure that I saw it being Georgia first, but um, it's as, you know, and it's as likely to happen to an SEC team as it is anybody else in the country just because of the depth of that conference. And, you know, I still am not sure. I think a ton of South Carolina, but, you know, you, you catch enough breaks, you, you put enough together on one day and, uh, and you can upset the whole apple cart. That's kind of what we've got going on now. And, and then additionally, um, I, you know, the, I, I consider making it my interesting of the week. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up here, uh, or I'm not sure you brought it up, but just bringing up specifically the dogs and, um, and the, the top of the um, heap in college football. I'm wondering if you it, – it's very realistic to think that you could get four undefeated teams going into the playoff with mm-hmm. Oklahoma, Alabama – um, Clemson, Alabama or LSU, Alabama or LSU, right. and then Clemson and Ohio State. Yeah. And so, and if you do, how do you stack them up against each other? And I'm not saying for sure that all four of those are going to do it. I think it's likely another one of them takes a loss. But at the same time, even if you get two or three, how do you different? I mean, obviously Clemson has the weakest schedule, and everyone knows that. But um, how how you end Let up? Let me ask you this, Ryan. Uh, what about the loser of Alabama LSU? If it's a really good game, high scoring as we expect, and one team wins by a touchdown or less, okay? And then they don't get to go play for the SEC championship. The winner goes on and beats either Georgia or Florida in the SEC championship. Do you put Clemson in over the loser of that LSU Alabama game? I think you have to. Um, and I don't, I don't know that, and that's why I think we need a playoff expansion, uh, because they're the defending national champion and they have and and they won't have lost yet so yeah. denying them a shot in even two a seat years. at the table in the yeah denying them a seat at the table even in the top 4 is uh is is too tough to do i think yeah i would i i guess i agree i don't know there's a lot of yeah, games I'm not saying to I like be played. because i don't know that they would be the better team than the team that got left out but i i just i don't think you can take the team that previously won it all, played the schedule that was in front of them, rolled it, and not give them even the four seed. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of football left to be played. So I'm just, I, you know, to it, me this is it very, will probably sort itself out. This is this is Skip Bayless type discussion. So let's not spend <laughs> too much time on it. Uh, my number two good of the week, also in the SEC, uh, the primetime game on ESPN Saturday night down in Baton Rouge was a dandy between LSU and Florida. It was a really great game, a great atmosphere. I mean, I feel like the uh, mystique of Saturday night in Death Valley at Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge, it's taken on a life of its own. I mean, it's been uh, sort of storied for a really long time now, but as LSU continues to stay at the top of the heap of college football, which is a place they didn't used to frequent that much, if we are going to be fair. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, you know, with Saban coming in and then on to Les Miles, they had a little bit of a dip. Uh, not a huge one, but Ed, oh, Ed Ordron's doing things that I don't, I certainly did not think were going to be possible. And he's got them really playing well. They've got a great program. And that atmosphere on Saturday night, it just fell. It just jumped out of the TV at you from the very beginning. And it stayed that way the whole game. It was just spectacular. The action on the field was great. Uh, you know, everybody, myself included, is so impressed with the way Florida and, and Kyle Trask and the way they, they rotated in the second sort of wildcat quarterback in there for a change of pace and they scored a lot of points Ryan Uh, they put up yards and points on LSU the game ended up coming down right to the spread I mean the spread was in doubt to the final fourth and goal from the one you can't ask for more than that I just thought it was a just a uh, shining display of college football on the television on Saturday night down in red stick what did you think yeah i saw some of that game but not all of it and uh the 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 energy was certainly at a fever pitch and once lsu got up to a point um i think i assumed that florida was not going to be able to come back and uh that ended up being the case they did try they (laughs) fought and i give florida a lot of credit for the way they fought in 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 the environment they were in um, maybe just as important to me was the photo that I saw circulating. I believe it was from Dennis Dodd, who had a, a shot of a uh, a full alligator I wrapped in bacon. You. Yeah, you sent it to me. Yeah. That's right. Um, it was but awesome. was it was was it Dodd who had it? It Anyhow. was Dennis Dodd of CBS, and yeah, it was a shot of the tailgating scene of an LSU tailgate with a fully full alligator, head and all. It was skinned almost like the way you would skin a potato. You know, before making yep. a mash, uh, got to. It, that's how it looked. It looked like a skin potato, except it was an alligator just sitting there on a grill. Incredible picture. Yeah, and uh, so I would like to dive into that. And frankly, having now gone to New Orleans on my honeymoon, I would love to enjoy a little uh, southern hospitality and southern fare from the folks down in Baton Rouge. Should uh, my Oregon Ducks ever have the opportunity to go and play there? Yeah, I went once, and it was. You know, I felt like the pregame atmosphere and tailgating and all that was everything you had heard. I mean, it was just great. It was absolutely mm-hmm. great. It's just so vast. You know, it's not they, – they just tailgate everywhere. You know, it's not really concentrated to one part. They just kind of sprawl out all over the campus, which a lot of SEC schools do, just because so many people descend on the campus. You can't really confine it to the parking lot or even the quad. You kind of got to let them just – do it wherever they want. It was that times a thousand. I thought the atmosphere in the stadium was good. The problem I had was we were in the crappiest of the Alabama sections at the very, very, very top of the stadium in the corner of the end zone. So the sound was kind of lost on me up there. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. You know, it looked cool, but I didn't. I just wish I had some better seats. It was uh, an Alabama loss to them too. In 2010, it was a little bit of a bummer, uh, but whatever. It, it was it was pretty darn good, uh, but not the best stadium atmosphere I've ever seen. But I think it would have been different if had I, you know, had the sound kind of coming down on me a little bit more. But uh, you know, on Saturday night against the Gators, it was sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely agreed. No, it was a, it was a great atmosphere. One one of the absolute best in college football. Yeah, at least as far as I can tell. Yeah. Um, okay. 
Number three on my three and out is your 49ers going down to the Coliseum in Los Angeles and taking it to the Rams. I mean, the Rams drive it right down their throat on the first possession. All runs. I think it was eight runs. Yeah, uh, seven eight or eight. plays, all runs, right into the end zone. Uh, it looked like the 49ers' vaunted defense was going to get exposed. And then I think they gave up, what, like 100 yards or something the rest of the game? Uh, yeah, I, I know that like on that first series, uh, the running back who was in for Todd Gurley, Malcolm Brown, he had like five carries for 66 yards or something like that. And then the rest of the game, he had six carries for zero yards. Yeah. Additionally, after that opening drive, the Rams didn't have any drive that exceeded 45 yards at any point. Um, and and they held Jared Goff to 78 yards passing. So I'll, I'll let you continue, but it was no, it was I, I, it was quite the display. Yeah, I was working at this indoor lacrosse tournament. They had a TV. I was keeping my eye on it, but I couldn't really watch it. Uh, so I appreciate you filling in all that knowledge. I'm just really impressed with the Niners' undefeated start, as I know you are too. They're, that's their best win to date by far. Uh, I, you know, from the Rams' perspective, they made a bunch of trades tonight. They went out and traded two first rounders plus for J- your your boy Jalen Ramsey. They also got another pretty good player from Cleveland, I think. Uh, so, and then they got rid of Marcus Peters and sent him to the Ravens. So they kind of traded one headache for another. Peters for Ramsey but you know they're not they're obviously not happy with the way their team is going but it seems to me their problems are bigger than the guys they traded for and traded away uh Jerry Goff may not be very good Ryan uh you know I, I mean that's my basic take you look at the numbers he's terrible on the road he had always been good at home uh he was terrible at home on Sunday, you know, his offensive genius of a head coach can't seem to fix him. It, he just doesn't look right. He looks a little bit confused at all times. He looks a little bit skittish. It seems to be more mental than physical. And I think that's a concern if you're a Rams fan. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit of the same boat. I'm not sure <clears throat> it's as bad as it looks right now. And I'm not sure it was as good. It was. It's ever going to be as good as it was last season. Uh, I, I think that that was kind of the best you're going to get. And I was almost surprised at the level of success that Jared Goff was having because I never, even going back to his college days, have been that impressed with him as a quarterback. I mean, he, he seemed capable, but but never uh, like a never a world beater, never a superstar. And I thought, you know, this is a guy who could who could plug and play in Sean McVay's offense. And maybe anybody could look good in this offense. And maybe it's a little bit him. But now the fact that he's having trouble the way that he is, and I don't know if that's other defenses starting to catch up with the things that Sean McVay does. But uh, yeah, they look like he looks like he's in over his head right now, and I I have a feeling Sean McVay is going to f- be able to fix it. I but he also, too. but he also may not be w- worth the contract you just gave him. Well, that's almost another discussion. I mean, at this point, they it just is. need to get it back to where he can win some games. Um, whether he lives up to the contract or not, it's going to be tough to do that. But they need him not to be a complete liability and lose games and just be able to, to manage it and you know let the defense do some things, get the running game going again, distribute the ball to Cooper Cup and some of those other wide receivers, Robert Woods and the others. You know, he was doing that just fine. He almost won the freaking Super Bowl last year, Ryan. And he was a he was really good on that run to the Super Bowl. And he was pretty good against, you know, a lights out defense in the Super Bowl. He didn't mm-hmm. lose the Super Bowl, in my opinion. So, 
you know, I think that McVeigh will get him back. Again, I think it's more mental than physical, which I don't know. That's a glass half empty, half full, uh, depending on how you want to look at it, if it's better to be physically hurt or mentally uh, dinged a little bit. But, you know, I don't know. Uh, but credit to the to the Niners. That's what we were focusing on. Kyle Shanahan, uh, that defensive coordinator, Robert, is it Sala? Sala, yeah. Yeah, Sala. He's an animal on there. I mean, he's he's fun to watch. Uh, and, you know, the faithful, it looks like, have been rewarded for their faith in this horrific ownership shit show that they've had and the move down to Santa Clara. It hasn't been easy on the Niner faithful, you being one of them. So uh, I'm not a Niner fan. I just can't get behind that ownership group at all. But I'm happy for you and, and my other friends who are Niner fans. You guys are great fans. So yeah, It's the closest. Somebody asked me the other day, what's the closest you've ever come to like quitting on one of the teams that you love and just like giving them up and saying yeah. like, screw this, I'm done. Yeah. And I've, I've never really been in a situation where, I, where I've, I've gotten to that point. There, was a, there were many years where I'd lost interest in the Warriors because their ownership group didn't do anything interesting and hamstrung them with bad contracts and things like that. But Horrible draft I was, picks. I, I, was, I was never outrightly, like, outwardly mad at them. But when the uh, mutual parting of ways between Jed York and Jim Harbaugh happened, I was absolutely livid. And that was as close as I came because it seemed like Jed York couldn't get over his own ego to figure out a way and essentially tanked uh, Jim Harbaugh into an eight and eight season, which still wasn't that bad when you consider the circumstances. Um, but you know, it's, it's a situation where I, I have kind of invested too much love into the franchise just as, as a fan to, uh, I will, I, I try to essentially cut off my thoughts about, about the ownership and enjoy that this team that I, that I grew up loving and watching now has this good head coach and some, some nice, nice pieces on defense, and it's just an entertaining football team to watch. So, um, you know, they're not getting a lot of my money. They're, I don't know that they're actually getting any of my money because I, I haven't been to a CA 49ers game at Levi's Stadium, nor have I bought any gear in the last five years or so. But, uh, no, I'm, I'm excited about it. And, and you mentioned Robert Sala. Man, I, I had my doubts about him. I really did. And But you've seen what a couple pieces can do on the defensive side of the ball. They had Quan Alexander at linebacker. They had D Ford, the, the edge rusher. Uh, who famously kind of blew the AFC Championship game by being offsides yeah. uh, on the on the Chiefs? Um, but then you know you, you've got uh, Nick Bosa, who's uh, was just an absolute force in that Monday night game uh, where where he took down Baker uh, a number of times. But then um, DeForest Buckner's playing good ball, and you, you've really got they've invested so many draft picks on the defensive line, and it was looking like they were just kind of banging their head against the wall over and over again. But now some of these guys are actually showing a little bit of metal. And uh, I, I was stunned that they only allowed seven points to this uh, Sean McVay offense. And if, uh, if they can, I think the, the really great thing for them is Jimmy Garoppolo is really not even playing that well yet. And the fact that they're five and O um, and, and they've done it mostly with defense. And I think with some offensive creativity and it's masked the fact that their quarterback has really just been kind of average. Um, if, if Jimmy starts getting things humming, uh, look out. Totally. Uh, so that's my three and out good of the week. Cox gets stiff in Georgia, LSU and Gators <laughs> down in Baton Rouge and Niners big one over the Rams to stay undefeated down in LA. What's your bad of the week? 
Um, <clears throat> my bat of the week is LeBron James, uh, and specifically <laughs> Bron Bron. His, his own hypocrisy. And uh, obviously, he is a guy that has a ton of sway, probably more than any other figure in the sports world at this point. I, w- I would. He's, uh, he's the most would, famous athlete in the country. Yeah, maybe not in the world, but yes, certainly in the country. Yeah. Um, and what he says matters a lot uh, to the league, to the basketball world, to the, to the, the sporting, the sports consuming public. And he basically got back from his team's trip to China after the Daryl Morey fallout, uh, tweet fallout um, that was sparked the week before. And if you aren't up to date on that, Michael and I talked about that last week. But it's, we did. Uh, pretty, and I was hoping well. not to talk about it again. Well, and we won't. <laughs> this, this, I think, this is a, is a completely different issue. It's actually not going to have anything to do with uh, the Hong Kong, China, Daryl Morey, whatever. Well, it's got uh, it's, something it's, to do with it. Well, it, it does, <laughs> yeah, it to a degree. But yeah. basically, my thoughts on this are, are less about you know how a tweet affects the money and how that affects the behavior, but that LeBron essentially came out and said he didn't think that Maury said he thought he was misinformed and uneducated about the situation and basically shouldn't have sent this tweet or should have at least waited until they were back. And that was the part that kind of got me. I'm like, waited until they're back. So it's like you're. If you've got an issue with his activism, that's one thing. But if you've got an issue with the timing of his activism, that's another. Basically, you're saying it's okay to care about this stuff, but not when it affects me. And that's the part that that bothers me. That basically he says, you know, it's okay if Maury wants to tweet this when we're back home, but not when so we're I don't there. have to deal with it face first. And and for the guy who was who who is coming, you know, obviously was famously embroiled in that uh, battle with that the political commentator who said he needed to just shut up and dribble. And, you know, he he said, we, we will not just shut up and dribble. I believe in that. And I, I, and I think they should believe in that. But he, what he is essentially saying is that he wished that Daryl Morey would have just let everyone shut up and dribble rather than get involved. And it's, it's not fair for LeBron to speak up on certain issues when he's here and have an issue with other people speaking, speaking up on issues um, that affect him elsewhere because the things he speak on speaks on affect others, and that's a two way street. And uh, and it seems like he wants that to be a one way street. And it's not has less to do with uh, the the controversy with the Chinese government and more with LeBron looking like a real big hypocrite. Yeah, there's a lot of nuance to this story. Um, I'm not going to pretend. I, you know, I don't want to sound like Steph Curry, Steve Kerr, Greg Popovich, and LeBron James. And say, you know, I'm not totally informed on all of this. But the fact is, is that I'm not. And I kind of stopped paying real close attention to the story until today when LeBron's comments came out. And then, of course, he backtracked a little bit and offered a second statement and more tweets. And it's just making him look worse, you know. But uh, I said last week that to me the most interesting part of this story, at least to me last week, was the hypocrisy angle of it. And I continue to feel that way. And, you know, LeBron, the the four guys that I just named, uh, Curran Popovich, Curry, and LeBron, I think they're the four most outspoken uh, against the current administration that sits in the White House. Mm -hmm. And I don't, not to get political, but I I, I just hate it when, you know, they're obviously being a little bit uh, hypocritical, all four of them. I think that's fairly obvious. 
I don't like it when voices from the right come out and just have to do this whole pointing at and looking at look at you and you're such a hypocrite. It's like we already we all know it. You know, it's like it, it's pretty obvious to anybody who's paying attention. And I think that sort of the real crux of the matter is, is it's easy to sort of for anybody. It's easy to criticize somebody when it's not your own money on the line. But once your own money's on the line, as LeBron and Curry's are specifically, with the various endorsement deals that they have, they, they stand to make a ton of money in China. And, you know, Curry goes over there every year on a sort of like a goodwill tour. And it, mm-hmm. it, it's been very good to him. And, you know, it's easy to criticize things, again, when it's not your own money. And I think that a lot of the people... Uh, on the right who lean more conservative than those four I just named or sort of want to make that point and you know and I think that that is a fair point but what I don't like is when it just becomes a you know almost like a pissing contest and it's like a a one-upsmanship and I think that that's really sort of the big problem that we have going on in our country and this great divide that you see and it's always like Nobody wants to stand on any principles and stand up for anything, it seems. They just want to mock the other side constantly and find things that the other side's doing that's bad or wrong that they don't like and just dwell on that and never get anything actually good done on either side. And, and, and I hate that. I hate that a lot. Uh, we've talked about that, and that's kind of what this LeBron thing has suddenly devolved into, which was predictable. I knew this was going to happen the moment I saw what he said. Uh, And as far as what he said, you know, he is being hypocritical. He is sort of ducking the issue. Uh, He is putting his wallet over his principles. And I don't expect him to talk about the the issue, but I don't think it's it's fair for him to want to take a stand on of a on a lot of issues and then to tell someone else within his same league don't take a stand on an issue yeah it, it, but you know i can put myself i in get his financial issues, stake Ryan. in it i get why he doesn't like it but this is part of it man what the hell does anybody want him or steph curry to say i mean it, it's we're talking about a nation a dictatorship and a nation of what how many hundreds of billions? Oh, know. I don't know. And that, again, that's why I, I don't. But he it's, doesn't it need is to. It's very complex. It he really doesn't is. need to come. But that has nothing to do with the fact that he doesn't need to come out and denounce Maury. Maury could have stood no, no, up for I anything. Agree. The part Maury could have stood up for anything, regardless Maury of where it is. Is, is dog shit. Agreed. Um, the, that's the and that, that's it, the part that bothers me. The rest of it is kind of like I. That's about what I'd expect. And and you know, I, do I wish he would be? The bigger man and stand for something. Yeah, I do. Uh, do I totally blame him? Uh, no, I don't. I don't. Because I understand that LeBron, above all else, particularly at this point, we've talked about this a lot, he's a businessman above all else. And, uh, and that's what he is. And he's got yep. this empire that he's trying to cultivate. And, and protect. I get it. Yeah. I get it. You know, I can understand. I can. I get where he's coming from, but it it, make, it makes his it makes his voice on other stuff. I don't know, har- harder to. I don't know. I I, I just I have I have an issue with the selectivity of it. I do too, but at the same time, I get it from the business standpoint, and I also, you know, I can't. I don't think it's really that fair to expect LeBron James to be an expert on. Chinese politics. Oh, and I do, and I don't expect him to. I don't expect him to weigh in on it at all. But I don't. Ex- but I also expect him to not say that Daryl Morey shouldn't. 
No, we 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 agree on that wholeheartedly. Um, I don't know. I, I get why people are critical over LeBron. Um, I also understand where what LeBron where LeBron's head is on all of this, and it, it's a. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's an unmitigated shitstorm at this point. I mean, you've got people burning, Chinese citizens burning LeBron's jersey in the streets. Apparently a lot of them. And, you know, there may not be NBA games shown in China this year. And I think uh, for somebody like me who knew very little about what was really going on in China, I have been educated to some degree on all this. And I guess I am appreciative for that. Um, but I don't think I really understood what a dictatorship it was over there and just how much power uh, the government had. I, I just didn't know that. Mm -hmm. I didn't. So uh, that's your bat of the week. Are we done Are we done with Bron Bron? I think we could be finished with that. Okay. Um, let me jot down the time here. 36.30 in. My bat of the week, I'm going to try to go a little quicker, although this first topic is what has me the most fired up coming into this show. And it's coming off the Monday night football game last night where the Lions were completely robbed by the referees in Lambeau Field. This NFL refereeing debacle, Ryan, is a, it's a big problem, in my opinion. And I know that there were some other games over the weekend, you know, most notably, I think it was the Chiefs and Houston. There were some bad calls. I know there were some bad calls in Cleveland and Seattle. Like I said, I was working. I couldn't really watch those games. I watched all of the game last night. And I don't know how you feel, feel about it. I, I want to get your take. But I'm sitting on my couch there in the fourth quarter. Uh, the Lions are up. I think it was 13. They end up losing the game on a last-second field goal. You know, give the Packers credit for coming back. But there were three horrific calls. There were two mm -hmm. on Trey Flowers, the defensive end, on Bakhtiari, the left tackle of Green Bay, where they said that uh, Flowers had his hand in the face of Bakhtiari. One would have given the ball, it was a fourth down, I think, that would have given the ball back to Detroit, and they would have probably won the game there. Another one would have forced Green Bay to kick the field goal with about a minute and a half left and would have given Matt Stafford and the Lions a decent amount of time to come back and win. And then there was a pass interference call, I think on Marvin Jones, where the defender comes over and rips him kind of by the shoulders as he's leaping up for the ball. It wasn't called. And Matt Patricia doesn't even challenge it because uh, I think coaches now are 1 for 21 on their this new defensive PI replay challenge. It's, they've only reversed it's not great. one of them. So coaches just aren't going to challenge it now in late close games because they don't want to lose their final challenge because they figure they're going to lose the challenge anyway. I thought all three calls were pretty egregious. The two on Trey Flowers I felt like were totally awful calls. I thought Booger McFarlane on, M on Monday Night Football had his best moment to date where he, in the moment, went right at the two calls. He even got into a little bit with the ESPN rules expert, which I thought was great television, uh, good tension there, uh, and entertaining on some level. But I was flat out pissed, and, and I feel like the Lions got robbed. Um, how do you feel about it? Um, I, I do think that, they, that the calls were obviously wrong. I think it's a lot tougher to be mad about the hands of the face penalties because when you watch those in real time, Bakhtiari's head snaps back and the lineman's charging at him with his hand basically on his neck. And so I guess I don't get how a human being in real time from 10 to 15 yards away is supposed to, to see that accurately. I, I think that we have a bigger issue here. 
and that is that the game is being played at speeds too fast for humans to handle as far as officiating is concerned. Mm -hmm. And with the benefit of the replays that we do have, it's easy for all of us to say, they totally screwed this up, and they did. But but I I don't really get how you fix it without turning it over to computers 100% of the time and maybe have a whole team of people just trained on certain camera feeds, you know, buzzing a ref 10 seconds after a play saying we saw this here and this is what happened. But yeah. like and that would I, that would be a tough watch. It would be a really tough watch. And yeah. so I don't be and because you're right, those should not have been hands to the face penalties. But in the moment, I can absolutely see at full speed how you would think that that's what you saw. Um, because because of the way the movements happened. And mm-hmm. I, I get that you don't want someone to 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 call something that they think they might have seen as opposed to something that they definitely saw. But uh, some of these people are older too. I, I'm, I'm sure they do have their eyes checked, but <laughs> it's a tough thing to identify, specifically that call. And I, I think the game is is really in a tough spot because of so many, there are so many things in football that are judgment calls and now they're happening faster than they've ever happened before. So yeah. um, I, I don't really know what the right answer is here, Michael, but I, I think we do have a problem. We have a problem and I don't know what the solution is. And I think there's a couple other things in play. You mentioned one of them and it's, you know, just the technology now. Everybody's watching on a big HD screen. We've got more of the super slow replays than ever before. Um, games are spread out more than they've been in the past with Thursday night games and, you know, people have the red zone and the Sunday ticket. You know, it used to be you were very limited in how many of the games you could watch. Now we can kind of see everything. So I think that all plays a factor. And all of that has led to increased revenues for the NFL. So I think people are sort of pissed that the owners and and to a lesser degree the players are raking in all this money and the referees, you know, I looked it up. The referees are making around 200 grand a year now. They're not full-time employees. I don't think they get health benefits. They do get 401k. That was all sort of new. I think in 2013, you remember the ref strikes and we had the scab refs, which was a whole thing. I think mm-hmm. that was in 2012. Uh, they'd make much more money than they used to make. Uh, you know, I don't know, $200,000 to ref 17 games seems okay. You know, it's not great. Yeah. Um, I certainly think the owners could afford more, but I'm not sure how much of a difference that would really make. Um, And then the other thing that I think is contributing to the angst over all of this is the legalized gambling. Uh, I think that you've got much more people gambling on these games than ever before, and if you're going to make it legal and and states are going to get taxes on this revenue, and then they're kicking it back to the league, and there's way more revenue coming in, and these leagues stand to make way more off of the legalized gambling than they ever did before. I think that you need, you know, it's just more, it's just more, it's just more scrutiny, more pressure to get these calls right. Because last night, uh, you know, money swung. And I thought it was, it was interesting how the Green Bay running back took a knee there at the one and didn't score the touchdown. If he had scored the touchdown, the Packers would have covered the spread, but kicking the field goal, the and Lions, they would have hit the over. And so okay. by knee- kneeling, because the over that. was 46 and a half, the game ended on 45. So, I mean, really the game, if you had the Lions and the points, you deserved to win and you did win. So that's good, I guess, from a betting perspective, but there's all kinds of bets going on now. You know, there's, there's parlays, there's teasers, there's, this, there's that, there's fantasy. Everybody's got, not everybody, but a lot of people have some sort of action on these games. So if you're going to have all of that and you're going to take the money, you need to make sure that you're doing everything 
possible to get the best pot, the most fair result on these games. Otherwise, you're going to have a lack of trust. And, and, you know, it's the same thing that sort of befell boxing many years ago, that they lost the public's trust that what they were watching was a legitimate result. Now, boxing's a little different because quite often it goes to the judges. The uh, NFL isn't really, they don't really do that. But last night I felt it was like a boxing match where it, it almost felt like the fix was in. Now, I understand there's human error. I, I don't think that the fix was in, but there was a string of, you know, what replay revealed to be just terrible calls mm -hmm. all in the Packers' favor. And, it, it you know, if you're a Lions fan or a Lions better, you feel like you got robbed. And that is not what the league wants, and it's certainly not what it needs. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think we're in agreement on this. And I, I the I, I do think the I kind of emergent, not emergence of gambling, but emergence of gambling into the public space will lead to this issue somehow being dealt with more swiftly than maybe it would have been in the past. I agree. Um, but I, I still don't know what that path is. I don't either. I have no real suggestions. In football. I, I, I don't in either. Football. It's tough, You man. know, basketball and MLB are, are different animals. Uh, each has their nuance on this discussion. Uh, but specific to football, I don't know what they do. I really don't. So that's yeah. my first bat of the week. My second... It's more in the college game and refereeing. It's not so much the decisions that are being made, but it's these targeting rules, particularly the ones to protect the quarterback. I think they've gone too far, Ryan. Uh, you know, this rule where you can't even touch the quarterback's helmet at all. Uh, one of Alabama's defensive players, like, barely touched Kellen Mond's helmet in the game against Texas A&M on Saturday. He got a 15-yard penalty. And then there was a play later where Tua releases the ball and just gets drilled, but it wasn't to the head, and they don't call it. I mean, I think we need some more common sense. I understand that they've tried to uniform some of these rules to protect the quarterback, to protect head injuries. Uh, I just feel like some of the targeting rules have gone too far, uh, and again, mostly the ones to protect the quarterback, but there's some others Every Saturday, we're like a safety's coming in on a, on a running back that's spinning, and he comes in low, and he's trying to make the right tackle, but, you know, the running back moves a certain way at the last second, and his helmet ends up hitting him. Uh, there was a play like that in the Texas-Oklahoma game where one of Texas's best defensive players gets ejected, and then he's got to sit out the first half of this week. Like, again... I understand what they're trying to do. I'm all for player safety, but I just feel like in, in sort of uh, a hasty move over the last five years, some of these rules have gone too far. I wonder if we could have a little bit more wiggle room. You know, they're reviewing them all now. I wish that we could sort of, I don't know, and you get into a slippery slope here, but I wish we could somehow sort of uh, judge intent. Because I think a lot of these guys are very Agreed. intentionally trying not to, to make a headshot. And it's just the nature of the game where it's almost impossible to avoid it. And then I think that there's others where they're not necessarily hitting them in the head, but they're trying to inflict bodily harm and, the, and a flag is not being called, and maybe it should. So that's my second bat of the week. Yeah, I, I think that the intent part of it is really key, and it's really tough to tell. The other play that seems to happen a lot, and it happens a lot in the pros, mostly because college kids aren't that good at it, but the, the one that drives me nuts is the, uh, the, the quarterback that's sliding and the player that's trying to let up yes. or has to make the decision at the last minute 
to not to, or basically is expected to get out of his full speed tackle at the last second and, and, and abort it for that matter, like like a fighter pilot ejecting out of the cockpit, like going at mock speed. It just seems like a really impossible thing to ask guys to do. And in, in baseball, everyone gets all up in arms if a pitcher is asked to stop his motion uh, even one time and, and for good reason. But it's a way to get people hurt. And I think that for the most part, uh, I, I don't know that's even like I, I don't know that I'm we're maybe going too far into a sliding tangent, but the sliding like doesn't work. And too often guys get flags when I don't think they're deserved. And too often I don't think it's protecting the quarterbacks anyway. So I'm not sure these penalties or these flags are really helping the game be safer as much as they're just making people play a little bit more uncertain. Uh, I I do agree that a certain degree of violence should be taken out of the game, but that's really hard to measure without knowing intent. Yeah. Uh, Sounds like we're on the same page. Let's move forward. My third bat of the week is my Atlanta Braves just just getting throttled in Game 5 at home uh, last week to the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. You know, it was 10-0 in the first inning. Mike fulton who had been lights out in Game 2, got lit up. Then they bring in Max Fried, the, the young left-hander out of the pen, who had been great all series and really pretty good all season. He gets lit up. It was over before it started. Such a disappointment. The Braves, you know, I'm a, I, I've loved the Braves since I was three or four years old, literally. I, you know, I watched or listened to 90% of their games this year, and for it to come to a crashing halt like that was depressing. You know, the Braves and, and just, they, you know, it's certainly not the Red Sox, uh, you know, before they won their first series or the Cubs. It's not anything like that, but. Uh, you know, not to have not won a playoff series in 18 years in county now is pretty damn pathetic for an organization like the Braves, who prides itself on being one of the best in the National League. I still think they're heading in the right direction. They got a lot of good young talent, but just to go down like that totally sucked uh, to St. Louis. So that that's my third bat of the week. Yeah, I, I was wondering and, and presented the question. Uh, to a couple friends, uh, or excuse me, colleagues uh, on our radio show, is is what would you rather yeah. have? Would you would you rather the be, answer is go the out? Braves? You would rather be the Braves, or yes. you'd rather be yeah, the Do- or the Dodgers losing like that yeah. against the Nats. Yeah, yeah. To me, it's not even close. I'd much rather be the Braves. You know, I, think I had so too. I had the you know they I. Full disclosure, I left the house after the first inning, and I went for a long run. <laughs> um, I didn't watch any more after the first inning. I listened to a little bit, uh, like probably through the third inning on my MLB at-bat app while I was running, and then I switched it over to Stanford Steve and the Bears podcast, and I was about done. I kept checking the score. I went for a long run. I ended up on a hike in the woods. Very therapeutic. <laughs> um, much better than getting your heart ripped out uh, if you're Clayton Kershaw and the Dodgers. I, to me, I just don't even think it's close. What, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think that uh, I would. It's tough because part of you, um, you you want to believe that you were you should have done it that uh, that that your team was worthy, but at the same time, I think it's more painful to think. If this one pitch had gone this way, if this one, uh, you know, this one hop had gone this one way, then it is to to go out and say, you know what? Okay, 
we're that's that's going to be more painful than to be like, all right, we're done early here. Like we are clearly not the best team today. They are the best team today. We had a terrible day, but that yeah. that's just the end of it. Uh, hey, I think to, that is easier. To me, there's few worse feelings as a sports fan than watching your bullpen blow a lead in the in a decisive game in a playoff series. It's just gut wrenching, you know. Uh, I I just can't I I I can't take that. I mean, I watched the Braves do it. In games one and four, but it wasn't, and it was horrible, but it wasn't the decisive game like it was in game five there for the LA Dodgers and then having to see the grand slam. I just think it's way worse. And, you know, it's like, I still think the Braves had a really good season. They had a really good team. Uh, They just didn't get it done in one game. You know, I I think that's easier to live with, really. So, whatever. That's just my opinion. People would disagree. So, those are my bad of the week. F- NFL refs, college football targeting rules, and the Braves getting their ass kicked by the Cardinals in the NLDS Game 5. What's your interesting? Uh, my interesting of the week is uh, something that I, I've never uh, experienced before, but um, my good friend Jake is uh, a captain in the Oregon National Guard of the United States Army, and awesome. he um, is, uh, he's gone through officer training, and he's, he's been in the Army now, I think, for, for eight years. Um, and he's, but he's never deployed or gone anywhere, but he's now leading a uh, 103-person uh, unit, Blackjack Company, who is going to the Middle East uh, as part of uh, Operation Spartan Shield, which is basically just to provide s- support for U.S. forces who, who need it uh, in the areas surrounding the the United Arab Emirates. And so um, he, he's a really close friend of mine, and we um, threw a big... Uh, going away um, barbecue for him uh, last week and uh, and put a big brisket on the grill but um, this nice. last sun this last Sunday um, myself and my wife um, as well as uh, a couple of our friends went to his deployment ceremony uh, which was at a local high school uh, and and basically watched uh, the governor come out and and watch them kind of go through the proceedings of uh, presenting the company to the legislature and uh, and and then it's, uh, bidding them do and wishing them well and it's uh it was just interesting for a lot of reasons it's you know regardless of where where you lean politically it's uh it's pretty moving to see um you know just like um in, in many other situations like you might see him I and mean, i know that you've been to like arlington cemetery and seen the uh, the the tomb of the unknown soldier and things like that, but to to see the people who are actively volunteering themselves to uh, to kind of put themselves on the front line is uh, is is moving, um, regardless of um, kind of your, your your feelings about military action. And it was uh, it was a moving thing to see for us to see our friend up there, kind of the the leader of this uh, this really large unit. When you see them all uh, lined up and, and ready to drill and um, and and kind of accept the the well wishes of uh, of the governor it was a it was a, it was an interesting thing to see and it, and it also just puts into perspective um there's you know there were so many people there who um there there were children who were watching their parents get ready to deploy there were there were parents who were watching who were leaving you know their wives you know expecting child and it's it's something that just impacts so many families and, and lives and it's you know this is just this one company deployment from here in Oregon and it's happening everywhere and uh, it's it's pretty crazy to think about um, just how much people's lives change for a given period of time and now uh, my buddy Jake's gonna be gone for ten and a half months he'll get back uh, beginning of August next year and uh, it's just uh, all of it was was something that kind of made me just 
put a different perspective on um, life and uh, and and all that all that kind of goes with the responsibilities included in, in, in being in the military and being part of a deployment. So it was a it was an interesting and eye opening experience. I can imagine. I've never witnessed anything like that. Um, you know, good for your friend Jake. You know, our country is better off for people like him. And like you said, regardless of your political views, you know, I, for one, and I, I think most Americans truly appreciate guys like Jake and his company and all the other men and women who are volunteering to put their lives on the line uh, for our benefit, really. And so sh- salute to him. And it's awesome. You know, I wish that he didn't have to go. I wish that we had a world full of peace and without problems and we could solve mm-hmm. problems a little better. Um, but that's not where we're at. And, and I respect the hell out of guys like him that go over and, and, you know, protect our freedom. Really. That's what, that's really what they're doing. So that's awesome that you got to be a part of that. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was moving stuff. So, and, and with that, we can move forward. Okay, uh, my interesting is a totally different tone. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, My interesting is Halloween and kind of uh, taking it in from a parent perspective. You know, my oldest son will be five in November and my youngest one is almost three. So they're both really into it. You know, the five-year-old, I think, really kind of gets it having gone through it the last few years. Um, And, you know, I have a few things here. Halloween is not just Halloween, Ryan. It's like a full month celebration, you know? It's such Mm -hmm. a uh, marketed and corporate thing now that goes on all month. I mean, there's so many things for kids to do surrounding the holiday. Yesterday on Columbus Day, you know, the kids were out of school, so my my wife and I and my mother-in-law took the kids down to Half Moon Bay to visit one of these pumpkin patches. And I don't know if you've ever seen it, but on Highway 92 coming in there through the you know, across the San Andreas Fault, which had a little action last night. Um, I, I heard. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was asleep. I didn't, I didn't feel any of that earthquake. But you come down there across the fault and down through the hills, and then you get, as you're almost to Half Moon Bay, there's a bunch of farms there. And, you know, there's like seven or eight farms now there, all sort of right in that same area that have pumpkin patches, all aimed at, at getting kids and families. And, you know, when we were growing up, a pumpkin patch was a place where you went to buy your pumpkin. And that, that was pretty much it. I mean, that was really the only transaction that was going on there. You, you either bought a pumpkin or you didn't. Maybe <laughs> maybe they had some apple cider if you were lucky. You, know, you like, might have taken your photo sitting on a bale of hay. Exactly. With like your, maybe with your there was like a singular yeah. bale of hay. Or, <laughs> yeah. or if you were at like a really upscale one, perhaps there was a scarecrow, right? Or, or, or maybe an old antique tractor just sitting there maybe, out of commission. Like maybe. Like if yeah. you were in the high rent district. Maybe. <laughs> But, you know, what I experienced yesterday was well beyond that. And they're all over the place. They're all over the Bay Area. Uh, I know you don't have kids, so you're probably not a great person to ask if you see them around Portland. But I've got to think that most major cities and and, and a lot of even rural areas where there there are a lot of farms, I just think it's become this extra revenue stream where they've got, you know, treats and cookies and they've got hay rides and and haunted hay rides and petting zoos and pony rides and you know all kinds of sizes <laughs> of pumpkins and gourds and sunflowers and corn stalks and kitschy shops where you can 
buy shit to cut the pumpkin with and stuff to decorate it with and lights and <laughs> necklaces and hats and overalls and sweaters and are you sure this isn't your bad of ice cream and candy and it's just it's never ending ryan and I, i'm not railing against it you know those who know me and well, maybe a little listen to the show know uh maybe i'm a bit of a cynic on stuff like this i just don't like the whole uh money making corporate <laughs> not not even corporate because these are not corporations I don't like all that, particularly as a dad and have my kids constantly tugging at me to spend more money. But at the same time, it was fun. It was. It was fun. We had a really good time. Uh, And I also think it's kind of cool that these farms who probably aren't making a ton of money during the season. Yeah, I don't know. Um, But, you know, it's nice that they can get a little more revenue coming in. So I'm happy for them, seriously. But it's just mind-blowing how many of them there are. Uh, And then the other thing that hits you as you're driving through is just how many pumpkins there are. I mean, (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm not even kidding about this, Ryan. I I mean, in this one stretch of road, probably a half a mile long, you know, there's probably five to 10,000 pumpkins sitting out in these fields. Like, what are they're not gonna sell all these pumpkins? Like, what do you think? My like, what are they doing with all these pumpkins? I, I really uh, don't know. They must uh, sell them to the sunflower seed company, David, and make them pumpkin seeds, or maybe they make some pumpkin soup. I don't know. I honestly don't know. Yeah, it, it's just something to chew on, but uh, all interesting stuff. And then you know, it's October 15th, we're not even halfway through the month of October, <laughs> we got another two weeks before Halloween. We haven't even talked about costumes or trick-or-treating or Halloween parties or all this other stuff that goes along with it. And again, generally, I th- I really do like it. As a dad with two kids, it's awesome watching them get excited. It's, also, it's awesome watching the whole thing through their eyes. But I have to be careful sometimes not to go down Cynical Boulevard. <laughs> and, you know, I do. I have to be careful. But that's my interest of the week. <laughs> Um, Halloween. Uh, yeah. Listen, man, it's all, it's all fair. It's all fair because it's in that mode of, it's the thing that I hate where you start to see Christmas decorations as soon as Halloween's over. I'm like, no, 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 no. We just can't put one foot in front of the other. And I think we've even been down this road with other holidays before, we have. but the consumerism of it is just, has gone so far. Like, I don't care if kids are like planning their costumes a month out, like great, but you don't need to buy a knickknack or tchotchke at every freaking turn, and we don't need to start selling them at the end of August. But we have, and it's but only going to continue, and you will see Christmas decorations out on November 1st. Mark my words. Um, Thanksgiving gets completely lost because they haven't yep. figured out as, ma- as many good ways to sell Thanksgiving. Um, there's still certainly more than there used to be, but it, it, it's it's Halloween all October, and then it's Christmas all November and December. And mm-hmm. really, when you think about it, it's the last uh, quarter of the entire calendar year is basically engulfed in these three holidays. Uh, yeah. Halloween, yep. Thanksgiving, and Christmas. It really kind of consumes a lot of our culture. And it's just kind of an interesting thing that it, it's just the last quarter just gets engulfed in these three holidays and uh you know good good for somebody but uh that's i'm not sure really who 
But that's my interesting of the week. The corporate fat cats, that's who. Um, what is... Oh, we're going in the book. We're going in the book. You, uh, you told me before the show that you hadn't really looked at any lines. I've got a nope, few... I'm pulling them up right now while you I've got you a few big numbers okay. um, on the college side that I like. Shoot, go for it. Go for it. While, okay. while, while I'm looking okay. uh, at some Normally of these, Normally yeah. you go first, but that's fine. Okay, I loved, <clears throat> loved, loved, loved Louisville catching 24 at home against Clemson. But then I find out that Louisville's quarterback is out for the season, this young fellow named Jawan Pass. He's mm-hmm. really good. They, they put up <clears throat> 62 on the Demon Deacons. That was a hell of a game. Um, so I'm going to have to rethink that. If Pass isn't playing... 24 may not be enough with Trevor and Dabo and the boys coming to uh, Papa John Stadium or whatever the hell they're calling it these days. So I got to back off that a little bit. But I, I love Illinois getting 31 um, okay. against Wisconsin. I took Illinois and won against Michigan. Illinois covered, I think, against Nebraska. They've been covering. They're, they're a little bit better than they've been. You know, uh, They can score some points. Their defense is terrible, but they can put up some points. Give me the 31 against the Badgers. Um, Excuse me. I like Wake Forest only laying two at home against Florida State. Wake Forest has a pretty good team. Uh, I think Florida State tried to get up for Clemson last week and got throttled. Uh, It's hard to see them getting super excited to march into Winston-Salem and take on the Demon Deacons. Give me Wake Forest. I like another ACC line. I like the Ramblin' Wreck of Georgia Tech. Catching 18.5 going down to Miami. Uh, It's just too many points. The Ramblin' Wreck aren't good, but neither is Miami. That's too many points. And then another dog, a a final dog for you, a home dog that I think has a little bit of teeth. The Arkansas Razorbacks, plus 19 at home against Auburn. Um, I just don't see Auburn blowing them out. Arkansas, we've detailed Arkansas's problems. I think they're playing a little bit better, um, and I think they can cover that 19 at home against War Eagle and Gus coming in there to Fayetteville. So those are my college Tuesday leans, as they like to say, uh, on the SVP show. All right, well, without having really looked at anything until this point right now, these are the first ones that jump out. I kind of like Michigan getting nine at Penn State. I just think Penn State's due for a hiccup. I think that as bad as Michigan has been in spots, uh, Harbaugh, I know that he has not been good against these top-ranked road teams, but nine seems like too many points. I feel like that Michigan can keep that, that close. That has grown. It, it opened, yeah. I think, at five or six. Uh, it Well, it looks like I'm looking at Vegas Insider, and it looks like it opened at 8, and now it's at 9. Okay, I saw a 5 or 6 when it first came but, out. But, yeah, it may have been somewhere else. Um, yeah, okay. That I'm on Vegas Insider, too, by the way. But, yeah, um, keep going. And then um, let's see here. <laughs> um, I also – I like LSU lane 18 at Mississippi State. I just don't think Mississippi State's any good. They're not. Um, and I, I know that LSU's coming off a – kind of a, a big spot here, but I, I think it's an, a, a soft landing spot after a tough game against Florida. Um, let's see. I also liked, I just passed one. Um, oh, I think that BYU getting six and a half at home against Boise state is really appealing as a home dog. BYU isn't great, but they've, they've also played a really tough schedule this year. As I think tough Boise, as anyone. And I think Boise state's good, but I don't know that they're, 
uh, great. They still got a young quarterback out there, and obviously we know that the BYU team is full of uh, more mature men at uh, usually between 24 and 28 years old. Um, so I, I like I like BYU getting six and a half there. Mm-hmm. And then uh, let's see, there was one more that I saw. Oh yeah, and you, you mentioned it. Uh, right off the top, or maybe not off the top, was one of the first ones I saw was the Florida, Florida State uh, essentially almost getting down down to a pick with Wake Forest. I just don't trust Willie Taggart now or ever. So, uh, yeah, I'll take Wake Forest laying the two, the, the, short, the short line at home. Okay. Um, on the pro side, we've got another pretty decent Thursday night game with the Chiefs going to mile high, uh, laying three. I feel it opened surprisingly. That opened at four and a half. It's come down. I'm taking the Chiefs in this one. I am taking the Chiefs in this one. Okay, I, mean, I, I, I like the other side. I do. Okay, um, just because uh, I don't love road teams on Thursday night, particularly going into a place like Mile High, and I just uh, I, I I just feel like this is one where, where the spread should be higher. So if it doesn't make sense. I'm gonna I'm gonna go against the public there. Um, some others. Ooh, Houston at Indy is a hell of a game. Indy's favored by one. I, I kind of like Indy there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a tough one for me. I don't know. I mean, Indy's coming off the bye, which is really nice. It's a really good uh, game for them. But yeah, I, I like that. I'm just I'm excited to see that game uh, continue. Though, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, Oakland catching six going into Green Bay. The public will be all over the Packers in that. I would probably take the Raiders. Um, let's see. Rams minus three at Atlanta. The public will be all over the Rams. I would take Atlanta. The Niners are going to have public money laying 10 in Washington. I like the Redskins there a lot. Plus 10. Um... The Sunday night game is very good. Philly at Dallas, although a lot That's of the one injuries. That D- Doug Peterson guaranteed a win. Did he? I didn't even see. Yeah, that. he said it's a. He goes, it's you know, it's two. He said it's two, three, and three football teams. Uh, they've we've been reeling a little bit. Bit our, our you know something to our uh, maybe our fans think we're reeling a little bit. The Cowboys have been too, but we're going to go in there. We're going to get a win, and when we do, we're going to be at the top of the NFC East, and we're going to come home and we're going to keep playing football. Okay. Good for Doug Peterson. Uh, Amari Cooper might be out. I think Dallas is down two O linemen. Philly's got injuries galore. I just don't like it when there's all these injuries. But I would probably take the Eagles plus in the three. points. Yeah, I would. Yeah, too. and then the Monday night game's pretty good. Uh, Brady going on the road to the Jets, who got a big win over the Cowboys. That should be fun. Uh, Pats minus nine and a half. I don't know who I like, but I, I will want to watch that game. So that's my NFL. That's my NFL preview for week. What is this? Week six? Uh, seven, because the Patriots are six and zero. Oh. Okay, week seven. That's my NFL preview for week seven. What do you have? Um, I like the Patriots in that game. I think it's a typical spot where as soon as people are singing Sam Darnold's praises after his win over the Cowboys last week, the Patriots defense is going to quietly read all of that shit and say, we're not going to let any of that happen to us. And we're going to remind everyone just how young and inexperienced he has yeah. or he, he is. So I, I think it's a tough spot for Darnold coming off that win with those higher expectations. And so I'm going to take new England there. I think they'll win by double digits. Um, I, like you, I'm inclined to take the points with Philadelphia. I think Seattle's got things rolling. They had a great win. I, I did take them 
um, last week against uh, Cleveland. And I just think Baltimore is not all the way there yet. I think going to Seattle is never easy. And, uh, you know, it it is a good game. I, you know, would I be surprised if Seattle didn't cover? Sure. But I'd be more surprised if they didn't win. And if they're going to win, I think there's just decent a chance they cover as as not. So, Mm -hmm. um, then yeah, the the San Francisco one really scares me, man. But the the the, the Redskins are pretty bad. They're coming off their first win, but I'm probably gonna end up Ryan, staying they're, away. They're fucking terrible. They're not pretty bad. They're they're yeah. Well, they're exactly. But so then, why aren't the Niners favored by more? Um, but yeah, that's that's about where I stand. On this. And then I, I like I do like KC. I think that Denver now has Denver's got two wins in a row. KC two losses in a row. KC at risk of. Um, kind of losing a stranglehold on the division if they don't get back in the win column here. It's not to say it's that I think it's a bad division. It is. It is a bad division, but at the same time, they don't want to leave any doubt, and they need to play. They need to win the games on their schedule that they should win uh, for the purposes of playoff seating and home field and things yeah. like that. I, I just I don't think no, that this big game, team it's a big game for them for sure. And I don't think they're going to be down for long. So I. I I think they'll figure, and I, I trust Andy Reid more than I do Vic Fangio. So I'll, I'll take the Chiefs there. All right, take the Chiefs. Maybe we take, get a little si- a little Thursday side bet. Ooh, I like it. Okay, coming to a text near you. Um, all right, you got a wild card. I do, and um, I don't know if you heard about this. Did you hear about the the feat that uh, Cardinals pitching coach Mike Maddox? Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I actually so from- tweeted about it. I, I I would love to know how many people all time have had two hole in ones in the same round of golf. Yeah. So the Cardinals pitching coach Mike Mike Maddox had two hole in ones, and I believe it was the day of a game, or maybe it was an off day between games. It was games, yesterday. But- uh, yes, yeah, so it was yesterday before Game Three. Went out in the morning to play golf, and he shot two aces. Yeah. Um. So, but it, it got me to thinking, like you know, just how how lucky and how incredible but then i was also thinking about what are the um what are the things the accomplishments in sports that seems like essentially the everyman can do that are are a lot tougher that you wish you could put on your resume like for me a hole in one is probably at the very top of the list like i'm okay with my irons i've i've never really gotten it i want to say like really close i've i've rolled one by the hole before and probably missed it by about six or eight inches um but i feel like it's within the realm of possibility but then i also think about the chances and think it's probably never going to happen is there is there an athletic accomplishment that you would love to be able to say yeah i did that but probably isn't going to happen well it's hard to think of what i could maybe almost do at this point like you know i would i would love to dunk but i'm not gonna dunk um I would love to run, you know, even like a five-minute mile. I'm not going to run a five-minute mile. Um, I would love to... Have you done a marathon? I have thought... I've never even done a half marathon. And I am... I do... But you are a runner. Running. Yeah. Uh, But I don't do big distances. And I got to be honest, I'm not sitting here with a ton of desire to do a marathon. Maybe... I would bet that I would do a marathon at some point, though. Um... I I just don't have a burning desire to do it, but I'm sure it would be a heck of a voyage, just the training and then actually doing it. Maybe I'll give a a, a marathon a go here. And maybe the, the fairer question here is like, what are the things in sports that seem easy to some that 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 maybe are way harder than than they they actually look? Well, you know what I always say on this one is just uh, 
hitting a three-pointer from NBA distance is really hard. Particularly yeah. like in, in a real game with defense. I mean, what some of the you know, what Steph Curry and Clay and some of the others do, you know, people are amazed and they've made hundreds of millions of dollars doing it. But I almost feel like it's still underrated at some point. You go out on an NBA court and see just how far behind that line just how far That's back an amazing that line point. Is. You see those like halftime or you know, mid quarter contests or whatever, and if you make a three pointer and most average human beings, even grown men, are using their entire strength and body weight or muscle to try to just get the ball to the rim, let alone, let alone have any finesse or touch about it. And consistency. And, yeah. And, and with defense, you know. Right. So, well, yeah, so, then, you, then you add in all the layers that NBA right. players are actually against. Yeah, that's a good one. And then, you know, the, the other one is you, you go and sit in the first couple rows kind of behind home plate at a Major League Baseball game. And you see the pitching. It's amazing that these guys ever get a hit. Much less, you know, can hit 50 home runs in a season or can hit 400 for an entire season. It's crazy that, you know, just the hand-eye coordination and strength that's required to hit major league pitching at a consistent level. I don't think that most fans have a high enough appreciation for that either. No, the, the average human being, and obviously these guys are not average human beings, but you, you would just have to guess and even then hope you got lucky. I mean, there is, it is so difficult with, with these best of the best. Like, I remember being a young kid going to one of my very first baseball games and, and sitting that close and watching Dennis Eckersley uh, in his prime with the Oakland Athletics closing out games. And he threw it so hard, Michael. I couldn't see the ball reach the catcher. Yeah, it was you like could, you, I bet you could too, hear it, but you couldn't yeah, see it. It was too fast for the naked eye. And there are yeah. people who have these precise swings that are, are are finely tuned and engineered to just rip the baseball out of the yard on these pitches that the human eye can barely see. Yeah, it's really you play remarkable. 162 games, yeah, uh, and somehow stay healthy. It's, it's incredible. It, it mm-hmm. really is. And and that's why they deserve the money that they get, in my opinion. But I don't know. Those are some – have I missed any? I mean, we could go no, on I, and that, on. That's, I, you know what actually I think is really difficult that people don't realize is uh, is stock car racing. And and no people sh- think, oh, it's no just driving doubt. in a circle. It's 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 not that. But there, there are plenty of sports fans that think that there's nothing to that. And uh, when you watch those machines up close and how close they are and uh, the way that they have to maneuver and the, the just the way that the, some of the tracks are banked and the decisions they have to make in and then stay within those margins for such a crazy extended period of time, uh, it is it is no too. small accomplishment under those circumstances. Oh, it's, and I it's think amazing. a lot of people think it's not it's not that big a deal. You know, I don't know if I've told this story on the pod, but I'll make it quick. I had the. Great. I got to do something really cool several years back. I flew to Charlotte. Uh, I was a guest of, you know, we worked for NBC Sports, and, and NASCAR flew us out there, and I got to do the Richard Petty driving experience at Charlotte, you know, the main track in Charlotte. I actually got a picture of it sitting right here on the wall above my head as we speak. And, you know, it was incredible. You you did, like, six laps with a train, like a, a pro driver, and he took you around, you know, you're strapped into the passenger seat, and he took you around the track, like, six or eight laps, and, you know, it was unlike anything you've ever felt. We were going, I think, like, 180 miles an hour on the straightaways, and it was just incredible, but then we got to do, like, six or eight laps with us driving, 
And it was one of the coolest things I've ever done in my life. Now, there were no other cars on the track, but I was on a real track. And the banking is what gets you the most. You've, you know, no one's really ever experienced that sort of drive-in before. You can't no. really prepare yourself for it. And that, and you know, it, you, 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 how do I describe it? It actually, the banking actually helps your car not go into the wall, but it feels like it's the opposite. It feels like it's going to, you know, that the car is going to go up the wall and it takes a few laps before you kind of get the hang of it. And I was pretty scared. I mean, I only got it up to like 110 miles an hour. Some of the other producers in our NBC group, you know, they were slinging it around there at like, I think, 160, which I was just amazed that they had the balls and the skill to do that. But, mm -hmm. you know, you really got an appreciation for what these guys do. I mean, six to eight laps, you know, the concentration and the focus and the strength and skill that was required just to guide this hunk of metal around this track at that speed. And then, you know, we were the only ones on the track. Imagine being out there with 40 other cars, you know, going 200 miles an hour for 400 laps in, you know, 120 degrees in the car for three and a half hours on a bright Sunday, it's amazing. And you're right, uh, fans have no appreciation for what those drivers do. And you know, there's a reason that so few of the drive, you know, that these drivers stick around for as as long as they do. It's because they're so good. And there's only a, you know, there's only 20 humans on the planet that that have the skill and and the mental capacity to do what they do, and that's why they stick around for so long. Yeah, it's uh, it, yeah. Again, I, I can't emphasize enough just how, how how difficult that seems to me, and and how few how most people kind of poo poo it as not a real sport. Totally. All right, good wild card. I have one uh, for you now. So you know we've been talking about the the nationals and the baseball playoffs. So here's my question: Take your favorite team out of it, just as a pure spectator, a fan of the sport, between. The NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball playoffs, and the NFL playoffs. What's your favorite? Oof, um, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, taking the favorite teams out of it. Um, honestly, my favorite playoff is hockey. Okay. I know that's gonna that's gonna be. Um, it's a little bit out of left field, but I think that. Do you the, like it more than March Madness? No, I do not like it more than March Madness. Okay. March Madness is still the best. Uh, if I if I miss that, sorry, I was thinking only. Pro no, formats. I only gave um, you the three pro options, but you know, we're, we're just, no, I, we're just I do. Them I out prefer here. the I prefer the March Madness. I really kind of prefer any tournament style, um, and the series. I prefer them to be, I guess, a little bit shorter. I know that the hockey isn't, but hockey seems like it, they always end up being the most even, regardless of how lopsided the matchup seems. And, and it seems like most often it allows for an underdog to prevail. And then there's nothing quite like overtime hockey, which is like extra innings baseball, but far more grueling. And, uh, and, and the way that the kind of the ebbs and flows of one of those overtime periods goes is just is so thrilling. Um, for my money, that's the, that's the best pro sports overtime, uh, pro sports, uh, playoff format but no i will i would take march madness or even the college football playoff once they expand it to eight yeah it's hard to include the college football playoff because it's really just one day it's of, just three games of two yeah. games and then mm -hmm. a championship game uh it's great though don't don't get me wrong i think for me march madness is number one 
Uh, again, just taking my favorite team out of it, just what I'm going to be most excited for uh, for the for the duration of the playoff. It's packed into three weekends, so it's over in a hurry, and it's just spectacular. Uh, I think it's the best. Number two for me, it's tough. I mean, I really... You know, it's hard for me. I love the baseball playoffs, but I'm such a big Braves fan that if they... Particularly on a year like this, if they're they had a chance and they're not in it, I'm just not going to be as into it as I would be if like they just had a bad season and I'm actually like excited to finally watch some real baseball. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that makes sense. I do like the baseball playoffs, but I actually think it's my least favorite just because I have a hard time caring because I am such a big Braves fan. It, you know. Hmm. Um, I love the – I'm going to put the NFL playoffs number two behind March Madness. I just think, again, it's quick. It's three weekends and then the Super Bowl. Every game is great. I always want to watch all of the games, um, and I just think it's it's fantastic. I mean, it, it's playoff football. I love football, and I love playoff football. So I think that that's probably behind March Madness for me. And over the years, you know, I never would have said this 10 years ago before I really, uh, you know, before I moved to the Bay and started immersing myself in the NBA and the Warriors. But I've come to really love the NBA playoffs. The first round I can kind of do without. But second round on, it's every night. Uh, you don't have many competing games. You have a double header a lot of nights or you have like one really good game. And I just like to watch all of that. I think the games are really compelling. Uh, I really love sort of the ebb and flow of, of a series, a seven game series. You know, you get a series going to game six or seven. It's pretty damn good. Uh, same goes for baseball. I think, you know, the same same thing really can be said for baseball. I do think that there's a certain intensity and tension in these baseball playoff games that you don't really get in any other Agreed. sport. Um, and it's hard to beat that. And you've got so many, you know, the moves and, and the fact that it moves slower, you have more time for your head to sort of spin about various possibilities and pitching changes and pinch hitters and things like that. You can almost like manage along the, with the manager in a game, which you can't really do in football or basketball as much because I think they're a little bit more of a complex game. Um, so, I mean, I think baseball has that going for it, but if I were to rank them, I would go March Madness, NFL mm-hmm. playoffs, NBA playoffs, and MLB, but I, I don't know. MLB and NBA are kind of tied for me, but they're all good. I mean, they're all really great. I, I, yeah, I, love, I, I, I love actually playoffs. think that the, the MLB ones are more intense because of those individual moments you talk about mm-hmm. where sometimes the, the NBA games, the, the series take, uh, I mean, any of these series take a while, but there are just... There aren't seemingly there aren't that many moments where the series are tight all the way through. It seems like it's more, well, this team on this home court kind of takes care of business and they win by twelve or fifteen. Then let's see if they can somebody can make it tight when they go back to the other team's city for game three or whatever it is. I just I don't know that it doesn't seem as competitive, but it seems like it's the least deviation from what happens in the preseason, at least right now. Or the regular season, I should say. Yeah, I mean yeah, but I agree. But no one saw the Raptors winning last oh, year. Oh, no, definitely not. Definitely um, not. I'm, not. I'm not saying it's predictable, but I just think I that it's, it, I, it most closely resembles the same game that, as the regular season. There were some great moments in the NBA playoffs last year. I mean, I just thinking about it, just I hadn't given any thought to it, but, you, you know, you had Lillard's shot. 
you had uh, the Warriors and Rockets series, and then the whole injury thing with Durant was very compelling. The, you had that Kawhi shot in Game 7 against the Sixers. Uh, you had Antetokounmpo. You, then you had Kawhi's run. I don't know. There, there were some great... I'm not great, saying it's not compelling. It I just was think good. it most closely resembles the same game as in the regular season, whereas uh, I, all the I other agree. games feel like the, the plays all individually matter so much more. I think that in the NBA, more than the other two... Uh, pro sports, and I can't speak to hockey. I just, I can't speak to it. Um, I think that you do end up getting the quote-unquote best teams moving on more so than you do in both the NFL and MLB. NFL and MLB are a little Mm -hmm. bit, lend itself more to some some upstarts, you know, some lesser Mm -hmm. teams from the regular season rising up and playing really well in the playoffs. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. All right. We're we're done. We're out. <laughs> we've gone <laughs> we've gone on long enough. Uh shitty college slate this weekend. I'm not thrilled about it. I'm sure there will be some good games. It's a big one for my ducks. And a big one, you know, even though Alabama's a big favorite on over the Vols, I hate the Vols uh, more than any other of Alabama's rivals. Uh they're going It's just that th- orange you can't sit with. I hate it. 13, going for an unprecedented 13 in a row. It feels like a dream. So I'm looking forward to seeing that night game in Bryant-Denny Stadium on Saturday night, third Saturday of October. Vols coming in. Let's get it on. I'm fired up. Let's do it. All right. Talk to you next Tuesday. Good night, everybody. Sleep tight. Good night, y'all.